0: This morning, I want us to talk about three seconds, and when I say it that way, you probably think, well, three seconds, that's one, two, three, sermon done, uh, but I'm not talking about seconds in terms of uh, t- a span of time. I'm talking about seconds in terms of order. There's a first, and then there's a second, because there are three seconds that um, are significant, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they serve to remind us and to warn us what is of true value in life. They're keys to living and navigating this life and ending the way you want to end. And so I want to share with you those three seconds that uh, are so meaningful if we're to finish this life successfully. The first second that I'd like to share with you is that there is a second birth in the gospel story. Without it, you won't go to heaven. We have to be born again. Have you ever heard of people say, and sometimes say, are you a born-again Christian? Folks, that's the only kind of Christian there is. There's no such thing as a born-again Christian as opposed to some other kind of Christian. A Christian, if he's a Christian, is one who has been born again, a second birth. Open your Bible to John chapter 3, and I want us to look at what the Bible says here. Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, a Pharisee, a good man, uh, was honest and had integrity. And he came to Jesus and he said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher come from God, for no one could do these things, these signs that you do unless God is with him. In response to that, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one's born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? He obviously didn't understand. And then Jesus explains what he meant by be born again. He said... Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. To be a Jew, to be a child of God in the Old Testament, under the law of Moses, you just had to be born. A physical birth got the job done. When uh, when Jewish parents gave birth to a Jewish child, that child was now a Jew, a child of God. It just took a physical birth. And, and Nicodemus is a Jew and he comes to Jesus and he's talking to him and, and, and Jesus says, let me tell you something. It's going to take more than what you got right now in order to enter the kingdom of God. You know, you've been born a fleshly birth, but if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. Your, your fleshly birth isn't going to get it done you know, a lot of folks were hoping and trusting in their relationship through Abraham and thinking that that was the end all. And Jesus says, no, it's not. It's not the end all. There's a second birth that you must undergo to be a child of God. He didn't understand that because he he's thinking in terms, how do you become a child of God? Well, you're born into it. You're born into a Jewish family. And he's thinking physical birth all the way. And so he's saying, well, what? I mean, I have to get into my mother's womb again and be born again. How's that going to work? And Jesus says, no, that's not what I'm talking about. This second birth that I'm talking about is a birth of water and the spirit. It's a spiritual birth that consists of two things, two elements of water and the spirit. Sometimes people will say well the the water is you know the the uh, fluids that come from physical birth and, and then the the spirit is the the new birth the spiritual birth that that's not what he's contrasting here at all he he's already said you know you've You, being a Jew, have been born once into the family of God. You had the physical birth that brought you into the family. But I'm telling you, you have to be born again. Not of physical things, but a spiritual rebirth that consists of water and the spirit. What what does that have reference to? It has reference to the water, obviously. What connection, what, what significance is water given in the new covenant of Jesus Christ if it isn't baptism? What significance is given? I know baptism is given significance, and that includes and involves water. I don't know what else he could possibly be talking about if he's not talking about water, uh, the waters of baptism. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 26, he says that God needs and wants to, or Jesus wants to present his church to God as pure and spotless and he says, having been washed washed by the waters, what, what's he have in reference there to? The waters of baptism. We're baptized into Christ, our sins are forgiven, and thus we can be presented to God pure and holy. Again, in Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, the same thing is said, that we're uh, not saved by our own merits, but we're saved by God's grace. And what his grace does is... Is it it's the washing of regeneration, the washing of new birth and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. What's the role of the Holy Spirit in this new birth? Well, how would you know to be baptized if you weren't told the spirits, the one who told us to be baptized The Spirit's the one who told us this is what the Lord wants us to do, to reenact the death, burial, and resurrection through dying to sin, being immersed in water, buried in water, and rising again to walk in a new way of life. That's the Spirit's instruction. No one would ever do that. No one would ever think of that if it were not for the Spirit of God. He instructed us in that. He convicted us of our sins. There's no one who came to the point that said, oh, I'm a sinner. I've got to do something. Everyone who has ever come to that conclusion has come to that conclusion because of the Holy Spirit. He's convicted us of sin through the teaching that he left us in his word. And so here's this new birth Jesus says you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless you go through a second birth. The first birth, that's a physical thing. We've all undergone that. But he says there has to be another one. And he says emphatically, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. I don't know why people argue and fuss and debate about whether you need to do it or don't need to do it, whether you have to do it or don't have to do it. I don't understand that in light of what Jesus said. Jesus said very plainly, unless you do this, you won't enter. The, I wonder someday if we will stand before the judgment seat of God, and people will stand there and say, "Yeah, but I didn't really think you meant for—I didn't understand that you meant that we really had to do this." What would Jesus' response be? Did I not say, "Unless you do it, you won't enter"? It's an important second in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It requires a second birth. If you want to go to heaven, you have to be born again. Here's a second second. And it is this. There is a second coming. Turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 24. While you're turning there, um, let me remind you of what Jesus said in John chapter 14. He was about to leave his disciples... And he was wanting to explain a few things to them. And so he said, you know, let, let not your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, were it not so I would have told you. And I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And if I go away, I will come again. A second coming. I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So Jesus promised, I'm coming again. A second coming. He came into this birth or into this world through the process of birth, a virgin birth. and, And when he leaves, he says before he leaves, but I'm coming again. And the Hebrew writer tells us in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 28 that when he comes again, it'll be for salvation. He'll come to take us to heaven. People had questions about this second coming. We have questions about this second coming. By the way, did you see that Harold Camping had just passed away? The, the man who predicted, you know, May 20th or May 12th or whatever that date was now, I can't remember, for, uh, you know, a little while ago that Jesus was coming again. Uh, people have predicted the time of the coming of Christ over and over in history And we still have questions today and people are still making predictions and calculations today. But let me go back and remind you of what Jesus says. In Matthew chapter 24, the context, Jesus is looking at the temple and he says, you know, not one, not one stone of that building will be left standing on one another. To give you a context, he said in chapter 23, the very end of the book, he said, Jerusalem, your house is going to be left desolate for you. Because you've rejected the prophets. So he's predicted a judgment on Jerusalem and says it's going to fall. And then he says, this temple, as grand as it is, it's going to be destroyed. And so the disciples said, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the world? I don't think the disciples understood that those two events could have occurred at two different times. I think they probably all thought they were asking one question, but in reality they're asking two. When's this temple going to be destroyed? And when are you coming again? And so Jesus takes up their questions. And in chapter 24, how many times have we heard people say and talk about uh, the signs of the times? Oh, we have to be close because the signs of the times. There's wars, rumors of wars, pestilence, earthquakes. All those signs are given as though they're signs leading up to the end of the world. And if you look at the context of Matthew 24, that's not what he's talking about at all. He's talking about the judgment that was coming upon Jerusalem. Not one stone will be left upon another. This place will be left desolate. Because of the rejection of the prophets. And so he says, when will these things be? Well, I'll tell you when they'll be. There'll be these signs, pestilence, earthquakes, famines, wars, rumors of wars. And he said, And when you see these things, he said, don't come down off the housetop to get your stuff. Just keep running from roof to roof and get out of town. Question, if that was the second coming of Christ, what difference would it make? it wouldn't make any difference. But if he's talking about the destruction of the city of Jerusalem by the Roman army, it would make a difference. You need to get out of town. He said, if you're in the field and these things happen, uh, don't go back into the city, just leave. What difference would it make if you were in the field or in the city, if we're talking about the second coming of Christ? He says, woe to those who are with child in that day. And, 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 What difference would it make if when Jesus comes again, if a a lady is pregnant or not? Well, it wouldn't, but it would if you had to flee for your life from an army that's going to destroy the city in which you live. All those signs that people talk about today have nothing to do with the second coming of Christ, but with the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. But in verse 36, he takes up the second part of their question. When will these things be and what will be the sign of thy coming in the end of the world? But of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven. He's given them signs that led up to the destruction of Jerusalem, the stone be, the temple being destroyed, not one stone being left on another. He's given them all kinds of signs all through chapter 24 for that and tells them what to do when they see those signs. But as to their second question, when are you coming back? But of that day and hour no one knows, not the angels in heaven, but the Father only. And then he begins to say that's why you got to be ready. And he uses the illustration, he tells the parable of the the foolish virgins who were ready for the the wedding. They were going to attend and and they didn't take preparation and they didn't have oil for their lamps and they were left behind. And then there's the story, the parable, the talents, where uh, each one was given a certain amount of money and they were to take care of that money and the Lord was going to come back and require of them, make sure that they were good stewards. And he came back and some of them or one of them was not prepared for his coming back and asking for what was his. Then he says, we won't know when he's coming, but he's coming as a thief in the night. He, he's coming, well, Second Peter chapter 3 says this. He says, you know, scoffers will say, where is the promise of his coming? Everything continues on as they have from the beginning of time. And and if that were true in the first century, how much more is it true today, 2,000 years later? Scoffers will say, where is the promise of his coming? I need an answer to that. It's been 2,000 years and we keep preaching Jesus is coming. I need an answer to the scoffers. Well... Peter gives us some in this chapter. Number one, he says, first of all, they're willingly ignorant. Because all things haven't continued like they always have from the beginning of time. They've forgotten the, the flood. God does intervene into the affairs of men. And to, to acknowledge or to fail to acknowledge God's intervention with the flood, that's that's a mistake right there that they're making. All things don't continue on. And secondly, he says... A day to the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. He's not bound by time, but he is faithful, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's long-suffering, but he's coming. Um, So when the scoffers say, where's this second coming you all talk about? Just remember this, God isn't bound by time. And he's long-suffering, and for that we should be thankful. But he is coming. And that's the second second that's really important, because when I fail to think and to remember that he's coming again, I might lose my way in the way I live. I might involve myself in things that I shouldn't be involved in because I've lost sight that someday I have to give accounts. Jesus is coming again, and when he comes, he'll come to judge the world according to righteousness. So the gospel of Christ contains a second birth. If we want to go to heaven, we have to, we have to undergo this birth of water and spirit. It involves a second coming of Jesus. Jesus is coming back. And the third thing is, the third second is that there is a second death. The Bible teaches us in in Revelation chapter 20, verse 14, also chapter 21 and verse 8. It tells us what the second death is. Now Hebrews 9 and verse 27 reminds us of a, a truth that we don't like, but it's the facts. It is appointed unto a man once to die. It's just part of life. We die. But that's a physical death. But there's a second death that we don't have to be a part of, but some will be a part of. All men have to die at least once, but some men don't have to die twice. The second death described in Revelation 20 and also in Revelation 21 is that of being cast into the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. It's it's an eternity in hell what could be worse uh you know you try to fathom have you ever sat down at a bonfire or a campfire every time we do we make mention of the fact can you you know when you get just a little too close and it's a little too hot you think oh wow what what must hell be like and i don't know you know whether it's worth the debate you know is hell a literal fire or is hell not a literal fire it doesn't Listen, If uh, are the gates of pearl, you know, are they really pearl? Are they really streets of gold? Or is John taking these physical images that we can understand and trying to convey a spiritual place to us? It's not a physical place. It's a spiritual place. But he takes things of value that we value and describes that spiritual place in those terms. I understand that. Well, if that's what hell was... If you're going to say it's not, it's not real fire, it's still something that God would compare to fire in its severity. I want no part of it. Have you ever burned yourself? Have you ever gone to a hospital that has a burn unit? You'll know you're close to it before you ever get there because you can hear people screaming in agony as their wounds are, are, are being cleaned. I can't imagine a second death that consists of being cast into a lake of fire where there's no relief. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 10 says that the smoke of their torment ascends day and night forever and ever. It's torment. It's consciousness more and more I hear people arguing and, and presenting a case for uh, what's called annihilationism or annihilationalist. They believe that when Jesus comes again, here's what he's going to do. Those people that were not behaving like they should, that what he's going to do is he's just going to, to destroy them. Or maybe they'll burn for five seconds in a fire that consumes them and they just cease to be. I wish that were the way it worked. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible talks about consciousness, torment that ascends day and night forever and ever. You can't torment that which has no consciousness. It's, it's a terrible situation. It's, a second, it's, it's why God warns us. Jesus said more about hell than any other person in the Bible. And I know why. I mean, I know why he warned us about it over and over again, because it's so hideous, you don't want to go there. I know people will scoff and say, how can a God of love send anybody to hell? It's not fair. How can God punish a person eternally for what he did temporally here on this earth? And what I'm saying is, you know, it may take 10 minutes to commit a sin. And, and for those 10 minutes, I have eternity In hell, that's not fair, really. Will we treat other sins and other crimes in the same fashion? How long does it take to kill a person? Will we punish him for the rest of his life, maybe? Does the length of the time that you commit a crime, does that really have any bearing on how long you punish a person for a crime? That's... That's not the correlation. Furthermore, I find it interesting that those who say God would be unjust to punish a person eternally for what he did just for temporal moments in this life. That's not fair. Those same people are perfectly good with God rewarding us eternally for those temporal acts of piety that we perform in this life. Now, that's okay. You know, if because I've obeyed the gospel, you want to reward me forever, that's all right. But if I don't, well, you can't do that. You see, there's inconsistency there. Fact remains, there is a hell. It's real. It's more than a byword when you hit your thumb. It's more than a joke with a little cartoon character guy running around with horns on his head and a pitchfork and a long pointy tail. It's real, and it will last forever, and it's a second death. And so, here are the three seconds that I just wanted you to think about a little bit. We're bringing the year to a close. This is the last Sunday of 2013. Where do you stand in relationship to God Do you feel okay with your your spiritual walk with Him? If He were to come right now, if that second coming were to take place right now, would you be ready? You see, in order to go to heaven, we have to undergo a second birth. And the reason is because there will be a second coming when Jesus comes again to take those who are His back to heaven with Him. And those who are not and who have not engaged in that second birth will face a second death. You don't want any part of that. So the question is this, and I want you to think about this as we sing this song of encouragement. Will you be born once to die twice? Or will you be born twice to die once? It'll be one or the other for you. My recommendation, the Lord's recommendation, undergo the second birth so that you don't have to undergo the second death. If you're here and you need to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ by being baptized, born again, into his family, into his kingdom, we'll assist you in that. If you're a child of God already but unfaithful, and right now, if he came again, you would be headed for that second death. Make it right. God is faithful. He's loving and forgiving. He's compassionate. And He'll forgive you if you humble yourself. If you need to respond, we invite you to come as we stand together and sing.